I would tell you that I don't have a sermon because Hudson took my notes. <laughs> but I, I'm smarter than that. I wouldn't let Hudson get near my notes today. So, so good to be together. I pray that you take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. And you're going, Jeff, we've been in the book of Luke, and we will be getting back to the book of Luke next week as we work our way through. But this week we are taking a one-week hiatus. As I said, it is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and so we want to focus upon life and so as you turn to page 2, if you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's Genesis 1. And when you get there, we're going to go to page or verse 26, but we will stand and read that in a moment. July 4th, 19... I already said it wrong. July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence read as this. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Church, note this, among these are the right to life. Unalienable, I looked up that word, cannot be taken away or denied. Incapable of being transferred to another. When, it, when your right is unalienable, it is your right. It cannot be taken away from you. As Christians, we must speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. One of the basic premise documents that we have as First Baptist Church is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And in Article 15 of that Baptist Faith and Message, it says this. It's called The Christian and the Social Order. It reads as follows. All Christians are under, are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. 
And it's those two documents that have set the baseline of who we are and how we gather with one another. So I'd like us to stand together and read from the book of Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to pick up in uh, verse 26. I'm going to read through verse 31. Genesis chapter 1, picking up in verse 26, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And so it was. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thank you, church. You may... Be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to talk about this scripture for just a moment. When we get to Genesis chapter 1, we know that we are in the creation chapter of the Bible, and God has formed the sky, the seas, the land, and filled it with all types of bird and fish and animals. That's all happened prior to Genesis 1, 26. But his creation of man called for a consultation. If you notice in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Church, that is likely, probably clearly is the first mention of the Trinity of God. You see, God has called him together. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are coming together in this moment prior to creating man. And they say, let us. Church, that's a choice. God made a choice to create man. And I, when I say to make man, to make all men and women in the beginning and ever since, God is the one who creates life. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27 says, so... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In verse 31, we summarize that by saying, then God stepped back and saw everything, and he said, it is very good. Church, a simple biblical fact early on is we, me and you, and every other life that's ever been were created in God's image. The Latin term, imago dei, unlike angels and animals, humans have a very special relationship with God. He not only gives us a personality, and we have a lot of those in this church, don't we? A lot of personalities. He gives us minds to think with, emotions to feel with, and wills for making decisions. But he also gives us an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him and worship him. 
We were created by him. God made us, which means that we are creatures and wholly dependent, completely dependent upon God. Acts 17, 28. Luke wrote, for in him we live and move and have our being. This is just a reminder that today you live in this moment because God says so. Your heart beats because God says so. You breathe because God says so. And I think that's awesome because God said, I have made life and I have given it to you. A.W. Tozer said that the doctrine of man made in the image of God is one of the basic doctrines of the Bible and one of the most elevating, enlarging, magnanimous, and glorious doctrines that I know. Church, just think for just a second. The God of all creation came together, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and said, let us make man, and not just let us make man, but let us make man in our image. You have been made in the image of God. Imago Dei, image. Ask ourselves a basic question. What are images for? An image defined as a visual representation of something or someone. John Piper has said that images are made to image. I can see how he's become so popular. <laughs> That's such a very simple statement, but a very real statement. Images are made to do one thing, to reflect or represent the one that they were made in the image of. I read this week that if you approach Bryant-Denny Stadium on Alabama campus, that you will pass the statues of former Bama coaches, Wallace Wade, Frank Thomas, Paul Bear Bryant, Gene Stallings, and Nick Saban. These men all share one thing in common. They each won at least one national championship for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Those images, while they look like men, are really representations of winning a national championship. And you're going, no, they're meant to represent those men. Well, it's an interesting thing. If you are on this campus and you've just watched these five, there's another pedestal right beside Nick Saban. Just the pedestal. It's empty. Alabama has created this to allow the, for the next national championship coach. Those images our championships, our winning things. They represent something. And so if you go to University of Alabama, one, two, three, four, five national championship winning coaches, and then a pedestal. That pedestal, we don't know who it is, but we know what it will look like. It will look like a championship winning coach. And I read this, and I'm going, wow, what a perfect time to do this. You see, an image means something. You've heard the phrase, he is the spitting image of his father. We all know what that means. Everyone, they're going, he looks just like his dad. 
Fortunately, I think my boys look like their mom. And that's a good thing. But look like the spitting image of his father. Images are made to set forth an expectation. God created man. Catch this, church. God created man to show God. To reveal who God is to man. Think about that for a second. Let me say that again. God created man to show God and reveal who he is to man. God is the end. We are the means. I'd like to look at two particular situations with Jesus to help us understand the image of God. First of all, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to Mark chapter 12. If you're in that pew Bible, you can turn to page 1,168, but Mark chapter 12. I'd like to go here. Remember, we're talking about the image of God. Mark chapter 12. When you get to Mark chapter 12, you can go to verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 to 17. Again, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1168. I love hearing pages turning. Even if you're not going anywhere, I appreciate you letting me hear that sound. Mark chapter 12, picking up in verse 13, reads as follows. Then they sent to him, that would be Jesus, some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Well, that's Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, we know that they were seeking to catch Jesus in his words when they asked this question, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus asked for a coin, marked the image on that, got them to say, yep, that's the image of Caesar. And, and he said, well, go ahead and give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. They should have asked him another question. And I'm going to go ahead and just ask that. They should have asked Jesus, so what? Things are God's. You see, Scripture says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And since he had already made the image the important thing, they would say, well, what is God's? What belongs to God? And Jesus could have said, whose image were you made in? We are made in the image of God. We are to, because of that, be given wholeheartedly and fully to God in our lives. Let's look at a second place. Look at Matthew chapter 22. You're going to go backwards just a little bit. Matthew chapter 22. It's going to be on page 1140 in the Pew Bible. When you get to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to go to verse 34. Matthew 22, picking up in verse 34. I'm going to give you a second to get there.
Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, and we'll read through verse 40, reads as this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. They asked Jesus a question. They were trying to trap him again. What is the greatest commandment? And at this time when they asked Jesus the question, it appears that there were at least 613 written laws at the time, plus many countless sub-laws at the time, plus many customs and traditions at that time. And when Jesus was asked to say, what is the most important one, the great commandment, Jesus selected two. Verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Verse 39, and the second, like it, Jesus says they're the same. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we could ask our question. Jesus was asked which one, and he answers with two. And the reason Jesus did this is because these two great laws hinge on each other. You see, church, you cannot say you love God and hate your neighbor. And you cannot say you love God and not love others. Let's bring it back to an image statement here. The image of God must love the image of God. Amen. We are called to love God. We are called to love those made in the image of God. Therefore, church, we are called to love everyone. Today, we mark the 51st anniversary of what was Roe v. Wade in 1973. It's estimated that 60 million abortions have been performed in the United States in these years. There are lots of statistics, and I just pulled just a few, and, and, and I know people, so I, I sent it out to them, and I said, make sure I don't say anything that's not accurate and correct. And uh, so I've, I've tried my best just to pick nearly half of the abortions in our country are from women and teens 24 years and younger. 44% uh, that have had one had had a previous one. 60% are women who have already had at one or more children. Nearly two-thirds of women having abortions would say that they align as Christian. Based upon a current abortion rates, one in three women will likely have an abortion by the time they're 45. Many believe that abortions are done mainly for hard cases of rape, incest, and to save the life of the mother, but statistics show that this is true less than 2% of the time. Rather, 75% of those surveyed that answered of women said that their baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. 75% say that they cannot afford to have a child, and nearly 50% said that they do not want to be a single parent or they're currently having trouble in their relationship that would make this harder. Church, we have a responsibility to speak out on the image of God, the sanctity of life, to both save lives that are unborn, but church, to also come along and lovingly work with, forgive, and help bring healing to those that may have made these choices in this lifetime. 
But as I've said in years before, and as I believe deep down in my heart, sanctity of human life is not, church, let me make sure we hear this, is not a one-issue conversation. Did you know that there are more than 150 million orphans around the world? In 2021, the United States data shows that from 2012 to 2021, there was an average of 414,863 kids in foster care every single day. Focus on the family and other sites report that 113,589 children in the United States are waiting to be adopted, waiting for the right family to find them. I also did this interesting challenge. Did you know that there are over 350,000 churches in the United States? And God has given clear commands for Christians to take care of orphans. If the command is so clear and the need is so apparent, why are these kids still waiting? Human trafficking, both forced labor and sexual human trafficking, is tied with illegal arms dealing as the second largest criminal activity in the world, falls second only to drugs. There are nearly 2 million children worldwide in the commercial sex trade. Church, there, that, is more, that is more slave trading going on actively today than in the entire transatlantic slave trade of a few hundred years ago. Changing gears. Research of 16,000 senior care facilities show that 85% of residents never have a visitor. Not from family, friends, clergy, or anyone from the church. Per capita, makes total sense to me that those over the age of 65 have the largest suicide rate of any group in America. Church, it's easy to see by any measure that we live in a society that does not hold life sacred, that does not see life as in the image of God. Jesus, I believe Scripture supports, was pro-life. He said, I come to bring life and give it to the full. John 10, 10. Did you notice in Jesus' ministry, that he always reached out to the marginalized. The woman at the well with five broken marriages. He went out of his way to be able to walk and talk with her. The woman with the alabaster jar of ointment earned her living and improper living. Children came to him. Lepers and sick and the needy and the hungry all came to him. And when they came to him, Scripture will support that Jesus stopped and ministered to these people. Why? Why did Jesus stop? Imago Dei. You see, those made in the image of God have intrinsic value. Now, intrinsic is a word that we hear, but I wanted to give it a more proper definition. Intrinsic value means belonging naturally to something or someone. Humans, people, have been given intrinsic value simply because they were made in the image of God. Church, I'm here to tell you that every life 
is a life of worth, a life of value, simply because it was made in the image of God. You know, I share many times throughout the week that the things that happen in my life tend to pour their way into, you know, it scares my family because they become sermon material. But let me tell you, more than once in this, we've delayed the sanctity of human life for a week. More than once this week, we had somebody contact the church, came outside, and they said, I don't want anything. I just need to talk to the pastor. And he said, I am just so depressed and broken. And my family, I can't see my children. I can't hold a job. I just need somebody to talk to. I talked with another man who told me this week he reached out to me and made some very challenging statements. And he said, if you interfere, I will kill myself. Just this week. You're going, Jeff, what'd you do? I interfered. I reached out to this person. We finally came to a good spot Friday after me talking for about 45 minutes, sitting in the Duncan parking lot. I'd gotten my coffee, got the phone call I've been waiting on. I'm going, now's the time. But church, we need to understand there are needs everywhere. There are needs everywhere. People need food. People need shelter. People need a pastor. I did a funeral last night from someone who didn't go here, but I had an opportunity I shared with, with the church on Wednesday night. An opportunity, they came to see me when they had gotten a cancer diagnosis. And I chatted with this husband and wife. And five years later, he died. And they called me and they said, can you do the funeral? An interesting thing, I was, um, Friday, no, Thursday afternoon, I got a call from another funeral home in town. And they said that such and such had died. And I knew immediately who they were because the only connection that we have had, that I have had with such and such, this person, her name was Charlotte Stelzer. Her obituary is going to be in the paper. It is through Mana Missions. She had come through the parking lot years for years and years. And we had talked together. And we had prayed together. They had shared things. And then just out of nowhere, her husband said she got sick and then she passed. And they said, we know the Lord, but we don't have a church. Can you be our pastor? Church, there are needs everywhere. I've had the opportunity to boldly try to encourage people to see this resource or to see that resource. 
I know that some of you were working together to try to find places for people to get warm when it's cold. And there's all kinds of activities we can get in there and go, well, they shouldn't, and they shouldn't, and they shouldn't, and they shouldn't, and they shouldn't. And we can find all kinds of reasons not to value them. What the Lord is showing me through the example called me. is that he loves them, and we must love them. Regardless of whether they've made poor choices, are making poor choices, whether we can offer them help to move forward, share the truth with them, we've got to love people. simply because they are made in the image of God. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God made you specifically with a purpose called good. And we are to walk in those. You are God's workmanship. You look up the word workmanship, you find this one cool word used to describe it, amongst other words. But workmanship, the word, if you look back and research it, equals poem. P-O-E-M. And you're going, hold it. Workmanship, that is craft and poem, that is art. And church, can I tell you that you, when made in the image of God, are craft and our art. You are God's poem. You are a reflection of who God is. You are God's workmanship. Yep, to your left and to your right, front of you, behind you, God's workmanship. Unborn child, God's workmanship. Orphan, workmanship. Poor, needy, imprisoned, enslaved, yes, God's workmanship. The elderly, God's workmanship. The hurting, the grieving, the guilty, the lost, all God's workmanship. The good works that God speaks of in this verse are simply can be simply wrapped up in you be the image of God. God. Wherever you are, be the image of God. You were created in that image. Now is the time for us to reflect who God is by how we live. Church, I am unashamedly pro-life. I am an image bearer of God Almighty. He made me and he saved me to reflect him, to love. Best I see, love is an action. Being pro-life can also be called being pro-love. And when you are pro-love, you will be called to do things. Perhaps God is calling you to be pro-love by adopting or fostering. Perhaps God is calling you to be pro-life by volunteering 
by praying, by giving, by going, by sharing. Perhaps God is calling you to be pro-life by sharing the gospel with those that you come in contact with. Because I'll tell you this, everything else will come and go. But if someone has the Lord, their eternity is secure. I'm trying to decide whether I share this next verse, and I think I'm going to. Just write this on your notes. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to tell you why I'm reading it to you. Jeremiah was called as a youth. Jeremiah chapter 1, D now. He was called, and, and he said, God, I can't do that. I'm just a kid. And God said, don't you tell me that you're just a kid because I will tell you what to say, where to go, and how to do it. Jeremiah lived a hard life as a prophet of God. And by the time you get to Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah is fed up with what he's having to deal with. And then he said this, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. He said, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah came under such pressure in his life from being what God called him to be that he honestly, sincerely said, I don't want to do this anymore. But because God had changed him, touched him, Given him eternity, the fire inside of him called the truth of God's word, that image burned through him, and he said, and I couldn't keep God inside. And so the rest of his ministry, he just decided, I'm going to keep sharing God. Church, I know that in this day and time that we live in, you might be tired I'm tired of hearing about this, and I'm tired of hearing about this, and I'm tired of having to do this, and I'm tired of... If you're a child of God, if you're trying not to act on that, if you're trying to put that away, and that, it's going to burn you. It's going to eventually burn through you, and God will not allow you to stop being an image bearer. If he has changed your life and touched your heart, you will be different. You just have to figure out how much pain you're going to go through between now and when you yield to him. But I am here to tell you that when you yield to him and you become pro-love, pro-life, God will use you, workmanship, poem, image bearer, to bring glory unto his name. Amen? Church, I've come up with a new slogan, and we'll try it out. I think this is the first time I've said this out loud. You guys are laughing already. It matters how you live. Amen? It matters how you live. We should be pro-life, pro-love every day because we are an image bearer of God. I pray that between now and when we recognize this landmark date again, that you will seek to be a better image bearer, that people will see your life 
because you reflect the image from whom you were made. 